Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is our fourth microdose. And today we're going to be talking about the ABROLA. I'm here with Nick. Hi. And we are both on our third week now of questions. And so we have a little bit to talk about. We're going to start kind of just going over the process and then we're going to give our opinions a little bit on how it's gone. I kind of wanted to start out by talking about how it all works, because that's something I had to look up. I started answering the questions the first week, and then we all kind of realized in my group that none of us had any idea what any of it would mean. So um, I pulled up, I didn't actually get the opportunity to go to the APM annual meeting last year, but there was a really good presentation on it in the library and they, they go through all the specifics of it, but really quickly, we're not, no one's going to be evaluated until after you, you have answered 200 questions. So if you're only answering the 52, which is the minimum per year, the first time that you would be evaluated would be 2023. The good news is that after you have answered 52 questions, you will get some kind of a dashboard that'll show up and it'll show you how you're doing. If you're meeting the criteria, it'll show that you're meeting the criteria. And if you're not, it will show that as well. So, and the other good, good thing, because this whole thing is really nerve wracking for me. I get nervous about this kind of thing. My professional career relies on it. I just want to make sure I know what's going on. If, and for whatever reason, when they look back in 2023, if you are not meeting the criteria, you have an opportunity to make that up. So you have that next year to make that up. And if at any point during that time, you, let's say on your next set of questions, you get them both right, and now you're above the passing criteria, your mock status will change back to your meeting the criteria. And then after that, there's only a look back every year. So let's say that in the next two, you get wrong again, it's not going to drop that off and say you're not reading the criteria. So it seems pretty generous in that way. I would be lying if I said I'm not still a little bit nervous when I answer the questions every week. But I think that's kind of natural because there's so much riding on this exam. Yeah. And I think I, I think I'd like to jump in here and, and talk a bit about that nervousness because that's part of I think what inspired us to want to have this microdose where we discuss it a bit with a couple of clinical physicists who are steeped in it. Because yeah, the, the board certification in a lot of states is a requirement to be able to practice at all. And so losing your board certification could mean you're out of your job. And and even if you're in a state where that's not the case, losing your board certification is a big black mark. And I'm sure even in the states that it's not a big deal right now, it's going to be in the future. So Right. And so this is a big deal and, and there's a lot of fear. There's a good reason to be concerned about anything that might take away your future career. But I think that what you've just described from their education materials really points to what this is, which I don't think it's a, a the goal of it is to take away people's certifications and uh, winnow down the field even further with uh, more restrictions. I think it's very clearly a way of highlighting to individuals if they are having trouble keeping up with the new things in the field and with maintaining that certification with the educational requirements. And we can go over some of the, the practice questions that they have and how those uh, how we feel those relate to the questions we've actually experienced, not giving away any of the questions we've experienced, of course. But you can look at that and see the questions are trying to find, you know, are you minimally competent? Maybe that's a a strong way of putting it, but do you have 
a baseline level of knowledge? Or are there areas where you need to really refocus your understanding and take a few more educational courses through the, you know, the learning academies that are available with the AAPM or, or some of the other organizations? I know AAPM has a wonderful virtual library for, for that stuff, but I don't see it, especially the way you've just outlined, as being a goal of trying to take away people's certifications, but instead highlight, hey, you, you've had four years of this these questions and you have had trouble meeting this minimum certification of what a minimally competent medical physicist would answer correctly. You may want to start looking into these things and you've got another year that you can still bring your number back up. And I think you, you were saying that there's other options, even if you can't meet that requirement. Like let's say you just have real trouble taking very short term quizzes, like these one to three minute responses on a computer. Well, it looks like you could actually take the full sit-down test again, like that every 10-year test that they had originally instated. It looks like there's an option to continue doing that. I wouldn't want to do that, but I'm sure there's some people out there that would. <laughs> I don't know. All right. And I think there, there is you know, a reasonable reason to want to do that. There's some people who have you know, some ways of thinking about things that you psych yourself out when you're taking these questions that you only have one minute to answer and you overthink them and you get, you know, way off into the woods and think, well, I think I understand the baseline, but maybe they're trying to trick me and I want to uh, dig deeper into this and find the edge cases on this question where it might be correct. So that does bring up, though, like one challenge that I've already had. So we're three weeks into it. And I've already had a situation where I was answering a question at work. It was kind of slow. So I'm sitting there. I decided to do it. And a dosimetrist came in and needed something. And I said, I'm in the middle of an exam. I just need a minute. And she kind of got, she kept talking and she ended up kind of being upset with me. But, you know, you see on your screen, this timer's counting down and you're trying to think about this question. And it was, it was just a bad situation. So I don't know if I'm going to start not taking them at work or what, but I could see... I don't know, maybe if you're just that busy, you don't have a quiet time to take it. Maybe doing it every 10 years could be a benefit. Yeah. And, and then it's off of your your head for those 10 years if that's still the option that you're given. I think that you're still expected to continue doing this test, though. Yeah, I, I don't know the details. I'd like to, to go into some of the, the sample questions if, if you'd like and talk a bit more about the format of the questions. Okay. Everyone who signs up for the Academy and, and is able to take it can go through a set of 10 uh, practice questions uh, that sort of give you an idea of the format of the exam. And I do need to make a correction before we continue, though. If you take the, the written exam, it's every five years, not every 10 years. The reason I said 10 is because it was originally 10 years before this OLA came out, but it is every five years. Well, and that makes that you would have to take it with that, that thing you had mentioned that you've got 200 questions, which puts you four years out if you're answering it at the bare minimum rate, and then a year after failing to meet the the required level. And so that puts you at five years. That, That's that correct. exam seems like it would just reset it. So that's an interesting thing. Um, so you mentioned it's, it's you've got these 200 questions, and we said uh, you're only required to do 52 a year. You're actually presented with the option of doing uh, 104 a year. That's two questions every week. And that's exactly what it gives it to you as, is you get every Sunday, I think you get two new questions. And I believe you get to keep those questions for a month. Is that right? I th yes. Cause, and it'll tell you when they're expiring too. So you'll see how many questions are available and how many are expiring. But I have a question. What do you think the benefit would be of 
taking more than the 52 per year. Like this seems to be one of those strategy things because honestly, I'm kind of having fun answering questions at this point. It's still making me really nervous, but I don't know why it's kind of fun. So, but it seems like it might be a bad idea. Like once I get to the 52 questions, if I'm passing, it seems like it'd be a good idea to stop. That's a very good question. Uh, sort of a game theory question. Yeah. I don't know. I probably will continue to do the questions uh, just every week as I can remember because it's nice to have them banked up. But it's, I guess, the same reason. Why would you go to more training things than you have to? And at least for me, it, it it's nice to get these questions and see what other people in the field think a minimally competent physicist should know. And that's... Actually, one of the other things that you get to do is at the end of the question, if you've completed the learning experience training session, uh, you can uh, rate whether you feel that this meets the requirement for what an OLA question should be. So you can even, by answering all of the questions, help shape what the exam should be looking for. In addition, you know, you're not crafting the questions, but you're part of the metric on whether this question was a worthwhile question. And I think that's good. And I think it's good to to see what, what everyone thinks you should know so that you can identify any problems, any missing areas in your understanding and improve it yourself. It has been kind of fun. There's been a couple of questions that I got the question right, but I felt like I could have gotten it wrong too. It was nice that they give you a little description at the bottom with references and it kind of highlights some of the areas like, okay, hey, maybe I knew the answer to this question, but I feel like my knowledge isn't as deep on it as it should be. And it's kind of like a really quick reminder to, hey, maybe I should brush up on this. This TG report came out and I haven't looked at it yet. Maybe I should go look at it. So I, I do really like that. Yeah. And I think that points to exactly the purpose of it is not a test, really. It's it's to give you that feedback on areas that you need to improve in your your understanding, if there are any. Or to give you, you know, the, the confidence that, yeah, you're you're at the minimally competent level. So I, we don't know if we're allowed to talk about the questions that are actually on the practice section. So rather than, than describe the questions directly, uh, if you've been through the practice sec questions, they really do seem to match the types of questions that you experience in the exam, at least from my perspective. Does that seem like uh, what you've experienced? It does, yeah. I feel like some of the practice questions I didn't like so much, but the questions I've gotten so far on the exam I've liked a little more and by like I mean I felt like they were a little more relevant and a little better written but I mean the same general idea yeah I would agree with you it gives you a sense of what is to come so what what is your takeaway then from the OLA I am kind of like mixed I've liked some of it I don't necessarily like how some of the questions are kind of like did you memorize this and especially if it's some obscure thing that you don't really think about daily. I would hope that any physicist who's working that is thinking in their head, I think I know this, but I'm not sure, would actually go look it up. Well, that's actually an interesting point. Let's say you get a question that asks you one of the criteria that you have on your monthly QA sheet, that you you know you do it at that criteria every month, but you can't remember, is it this number or that number precisely? But you know exactly what the reference is, and you know exactly how you'd find it out immediately. Is it so bad to have, I mean, you're given one minute to answer the question. If you don't even know where to begin to look for it, you're not going to have 
that knowledge on your fingertip in a minute. But if you know, oh, it's right here, or oh, it's in my notes, or oh, it's in my head, is it perfectly reasonable to pull those up real quick? Because you know exactly where to find it. You, you know, you know it. Well, that was kind of my thought on it that, yeah, is it so bad that that's exactly where I was thinking of going with that? Like, maybe some of those one minute questions should be three minute questions, because does it really mean you're a bad physicist if you don't know off the top of your head? Or if you're in a testing situation, and you're all of a sudden like, oh, my gosh, I can't think is it this or this? I don't you know, I don't know. I don't know some of those things. I agree with you. Well, let's say it's like the, that monthly. I, I don't know if this is a question that's out there. I'm, I really haven't seen one like this. So if there happens to be one like this, it's drawn directly out of my uh, back of my uh, head. But let's say there's one on a monthly test that you know you pull the monthly test values from TG142 or something. And you can't remember if it's one millimeter or one and a half millimeters, something like that. Or, or if it's, you know, one degree or two degrees. But you know exactly what report to look at. You know exactly which table to look at it. You can find it in 15 seconds. You just type in Google TG142 APM and you scroll down to table four. And you know right there, that's my answer. You know exactly what you're looking for. And I think that's, that is the level of knowledge. If you don't have it right in your head, you know how to get to it immediately. Uh, and you know, the ones that you're working with every day, you will know right there in your head. But say you're, you're a proton, practicing proton physicist and they ask you a question about quality assurance for a photon machine. You're not going to have that at the tip of your tongue, but you will know exactly where to look for it. So do you think it's their intention to have you be able to do that kind of thing or not? Because they haven't really specifically said that that's cheating or that's not cheating. It's a very good question. That I... <laughs> so... Their perspective may not be the same as my perspective. My perspective kind of borders on this idea that we have used technology to expand our ability to know something dramatically. And we're using our brains now as very efficient search systems for where we know we could find that knowledge, as opposed to having to store all of the knowledge in our brains. And is that good or bad? But I mean, I feel like there are some things that you should be able to store in your brain. Yes. Because there are sometimes you have to make a clinical decision right now. Right. So I, I don't think like everything you should be able to look up. But yeah, that's one of the things I was wondering. Like, am I, am I allowed to, if I can look this up in three minutes, am I allowed to do that? Or is that cheating? That's something that I don't know. Yeah. Well, actually, I, you brought up a point when we were just having a conversation the other day of, you know, just how much of the stuff do we as medical physicists do that is really urgent in the sense that you need to have an answer in 30 seconds or someone is going to die. And that answer is vanishingly small down to, do you know where the emergency off button is and what happens when you press it for the most part? But you also have to be aware of what you don't know in that situation too, because if somebody asks you a question, you have to know that you don't know something if you don't. Well, an HDR as well. Right. But you're absolutely right. There's, there's two ways in which what you need to know is urgent. You need to know that you don't know something that because you can give the wrong answer in an instant and be wrong and cause great harm. And you also like, you know, if you're in a procedure that requires you to intervene in the case of something going wrong, you need to know exactly what should be done and what risks are present and so on. But but those are not, I imagine, the types of questions that you'll be being asked on here because it's very difficult to test that. How would you respond in this emergency situation at your high-dose rate brachytherapy machine? I don't have an answer for what their policy is, and I, I agree with you. I'd love to find out what their opinion is on it. 
I think one of the nice things so far with the questions that I've seen is that I didn't see anything that, well, okay, I did have one question where I kind of felt like they might have been trying to trick me. And I didn't like that. I feel like with these questions, it should really be something that if you know the answer, it's obvious. And if the answers are making you second guess yourself, I mean, even though the question was one that if somebody came up to me and asked me the question, I would rattle off the correct answer and everything would be fine. And, you know, like it was something I I knew, I knew. But when you see the multiple choice questions, one of the answers made me kind of feel like, well, technically, yes, that also. And I didn't like that. I just don't want to feel like in these questions I'm being they're trying to trick me. I understand they're trying to figure out what I know and what I don't know, but I don't want to feel like they're trying to trick me. And I did feel like that with one question. I agree with you on that. I think that comes down to like the, how do you design a test? Do you want to try and get a test that uh, is teasing out? Do they know it? Or are you trying to tease out the cream of the crop from the group? And I think that one of your options for when you get that question is to fill out the feedback thing and type in your feedback that you feel, uh, you know, that you don't think this question was relevant, or if you do feel it was relevant, that that you think that the answers presented are attempting to trick you, and there are nuances that you can't capture with this short question, and that you think this question should be reworded or discarded. And I, I would be confident that if enough people fill out the feedback, they'll respond to those questions. So it's pretty important that we do that. I think it's very important. That, I think you, as... As a professor, I think it's incredibly important that people always give feedback on on uh, their evaluations because, you know, it, it's a key to advancement. But also it's important to actually be able to improve the process. You can't improve something if you don't know that something is wrong about it. But also I think that goes back to that question you had of do you want to stop at 52 in the year once you've done your 52? And maybe you don't. Maybe you want to have more than that minimum of 52 per year in there because they start throwing out questions that you got right, but they're saying, well, the evaluations for this question showed that, you know, it doesn't meet the what we think is the criteria for mentally competent. And then they keep in ones that uh, you did poorly on. Well, now you've you've lost some opportunities. I think it's nice that they don't tell you what the correct answer is until after you've evaluated it. I do like that too. I think that was a good choice. So you don't get to say you're very confident in the answer after you've already found out that you're correct. So, okay, to be honest with you, I wanted to hate this because I hate tests and I hate I hate everything. Like I, I was so nervous about the 10-year exam and then thankfully I didn't have to do it. But I don't hate it and I, I kind of actually like it. So I don't know. I wanted to hate it though. In my head, I, I hated it before we got started. But so far, I do kind of like the process and I think it's definitely a lot less pressure than the big exam for me, at least. I'm just ner- I'm always nervous about tests. And so I still have some anxiety, but I have found it to be so far, it's been a good experience. So I hope it continues to be. And I think that's great. And I, the only disappointing thing is that it sounds like we won't be able to find out, you know, what our status is on it for another four years. Uh, unless we're we're super diligent and answer every question, in which case we can find out in just shy of a year and 11 months. I think we're going to know after 52 questions. I just don't think it's going to impact our board certification status until the, that look back. So I think we're going to get that dashboard after 52 questions from what I was reading, but I could be wrong. See, oh, yep, it says, how will I know if my OLA score is above the passing standard? After you've answered 52 questions, your performance will appear on your OLA dashboard. Oh, well, there we go. 
I'm looking forward to it. And uh, what was that standard, by the way? They didn't have one. There's no, like, you have to pass this number. They're, they haven't released that information. I don't know if it was going to be a number, right? Or was it? Maybe it is. I, I don't know. Uh, there's got to be a number, but... They, they just say it's it's not graded on a curve. That's about all they say about the scoring. Did you know that you can go back and look at all of the questions that you've answered? I did not know that. Yeah, that's uh, really actually helpful. That does make it seem even more like a learning tool. Like, that's the idea behind it. If you go in, it's uh, you know it's got a warning that's for personal use only. And the disclaimer says, this material is included to aid your continuous improvement. To ensure integrity of the assessment, do not share this information. Please do not share this information. And so, yeah, it, it's it's exactly that. This is in, not out there to take your certification away. It's to help you make sure that you're still being a safe, good physicist. And that's good. And it's it's not just for us either. I mean, it was it's we're talking about its rollout and how it affects us as physicists, but the same uh, exam was rolled out for um, radiation oncologists and radiologists at the same time, right? Right. So, I, and you know, that's an interesting thing too. Like the point of this, they even say, it's not just to test you, it's to keep things in your memory. So it's, I mean, it is a tool to help help us as well. It's not just an evaluation, whereas like I feel like a 10-year test would be just an evaluation. This is meant to kind of continually challenge you, to continually make you think about things. So it's to keep things fresh in your mind, which I really do like. So yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've we've settled on an answer and it, it, at least for us, it sounds like it's that this may be a, a very good thing. I think we should come back after we get to our 52 questions, which it sounds like for both of us will be at the same time. Maybe do another quick little check-in again and say how things are going and if our opinions have changed. 23 weeks from now, look at this space. That'll be around the APM time, won't it? Yes, it will. How convenient. Yeah, so that could be very interesting in 20, in the at the, the double APM to, to compare our scores and see how everyone's doing. So another thing I want to mention that I am a little disappointed about, I and you know, I it's on me too. I could have started a conversation, but I've been checking the Reddit and I've been like the main medical physics Reddit and I've been looking on the list server and nobody's talking about this exam yet. And I was really hoping that somebody would have made a post, you know, even complaining or saying it's good or something. I don't know. I just kind of want to know how other people are feeling about it. So if you want to head over to our Reddit, um, r slash hormesis podcast reddit.com slash r slash hormesis podcast or you can go to hormesis podcast.reddit.com you can give us your comments um we'll put up a, a new link for this microdose i would love to hear what you think of the questions so far please don't give any specifics we're not allowed to do that but um any thoughts you have would be appreciated because i haven't seen anything in the community yet and i really would love to know how other people are feeling about it well actually uh you, you mentioned that and um one of the top posts right now, the, the most recent post on the Hormesis podcast subreddit, was a question, uh, an article from, I'm sorry, it was a link to an article in JACMP asking if medical physics community has the optimal certification model for the next decade. And one presumes that that certification model includes the discussion of uh, this. So anyway, any other feedback you have, um, you can always email us at hormesispodcast at gmail.com. We have some shiny new stickers we would love to send to you. If you want one, there's no charge. Just send us your address at hormesispodcast at gmail.com, and I will promptly get a sticker in the mail to you. Um, we appreciate all your support and really love hearing from everyone. So thank you again for listening. 
thank you for listening. We really do want to hear from you all about this and uh, see what the feedback is because this is an important part of our field. If we're board certified physicists, we need to be involved in this and we should be talking about it. We should have feedback for the groups that are controlling the board certification and positive feedback and negative feedback are both very important. Thank you. This is Nick. And Andrea. Signing off.